In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast, where we focus on real men doing real life in real time while living in the stress bubble of life. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed, saying, The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood the man card belongs to those protecting integrity fighting apathy pursuing god passionately leading courageously and finishing strong a man is as a man does enjoy today's episode to the men in the arena we We salute you. you guys we honor you for getting it done in the stress bubble of life we're in this arena together. Males retreat into the anonymous crowd, but you have jumped into the fray of manhood. So thank you, and thank you again for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. We are pumped that you are listening today. We want to call you into the arena, call you out of all of things that hinder you, like your apathy and your passivity and your weak sauce attitude, and we want to call you up to the higher level of manhood. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with the Sound PhD. Dr. Pat George. How you doing, my man? Sound PhD. I'm That's just making good, stuff up as I go, dude. It's good. So I might just stick with that one. That sounds good. Mix master. Oh, you, the mix master sounds like you're an 80s guy with a fro. Anyway, yeah, uh, hey, I'm also here with our Mustache. producer co-host, uh, my good buddy, the man among boys, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? The man among boys. I don't know what else to say. I don't even know don't what know. that means. I don't even know. I don't even know. You're raising three girls. Man among child, so. daughters. Yep, I guess. So, <laughs> hey, man, how are you doing? doing I'm good. Right? Good. The sun's still shining. Dude, yeah. It is uh, a couple weeks away from my family. We're going on a cruise. Oh, really? Sweet. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at my arm hair, and I, my arm is completely shaved from this knife that we're giving away. Yeah. It's a buck knife special fixed blade. Show David that. And it's engraved with our man card definition on there. And uh, this, David, you don't know this, but you are our 100th episode today. So that you, we're gonna we're gonna upload this uh, today, and uh, we're gonna give a ni- this knife this exact knife away to any man. We're gonna do a drawing. We need you to tag Dale Culver or myself on this podcast on Facebook. We want you to share it, and what was the other thing? Tag it, share it, and like it. Well, tag it. What does tag it mean? It means put type our name in yeah, the tag, in the rep- in yeah. the comment box. There you go. Tag Dale. Yep. Culver or Jim Ramos. Yep. And I'm about a week away from finishing the rough draft of the man card, five characteristics separating men from boys. So super excited about what's going on. So the man word today usually is best based on our guest. So I'm going to, gosh, this is tough. Mm. So what would be a good man word with this guy? Pink flowers in the church, hyphenated. I was going to say keep the church at about 80. Nice. Oh. And, and have bright lights <laughs> in the church and sing. Oh, how about sloppy wet kiss? Would that be one that he might sloppy wet game? kiss? Yeah. So I don't know. I'm gonna my man word uh, for our guest today. I think that you picked the word church. No, no, I, I got a I first one earlier. Okay, what is well, it? Well, it starts the man to word? see the man word today is confidence. Why would you pick that word with our guest today? Okay, that's what I'm trying to figure. Well, out. confidence in who you are, and I think what happens a lot of times in our churches is they do things that confuse people, uh, and a guy will come into a church, and because of the things that they do, they're going, "What is going on here? I feel like I should start knitting while I'm sitting in a pew." I, I, why can't I get skinny jeans like everybody else in here? Well, I mean, some people look good. With, they can maybe look okay with skinny jeans, but uh, if you're if you're plump at all, 
You just look like an egg on stilts. So yeah, don't I wear skinny I jeans. I can get skinny jeans over my arms. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Uh, I would say if the co- confidence. You've got to have confidence to write a book that David Murrow wrote. Right. I would say the better word would be ballsy or gutsy or something like that. Because I'm sure he's taking hits for this. and so Well, whenever you speak at a conference and you throw stuff out there that he's written, uh, or uh, you know, when you say you get on people about singing Sloppy Wet Kiss or your, your uh, fragrances intoxicating in a secret place, the worship leaders always stand up and like, that's not okay to make fun of that. And so you, you do get a lot of flack. When we that. were in Indiana, one of the guys said, I'm a worship leader. I don't see anything wrong with that song. I had a guy in Belize crying at 24-year-old. I what I love that song Sloppy Wet Kiss anyway. Well, so hey, we got I'm so excited you guys. Um a lot of books have shaped me and when we had John Elder John last week, uh, his book Wild at Heart really shaped me in the early uh, 2000s and then mid 2000s around 05, uh, David Murrow wrote this book called Why Men Hate Going to Church. And I really uh, the title alone, I really didn't even need to read the book. The title alone hooked me. And so David Murrow is not a pastor. He's not a professor, he's not a theologian. He's just a guy in the pews who got tired of seeing churches blow it with men. So in 2005, he wrote a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church. It became an instant Christian bestseller. I think the book has sold over 150,000 copies, David. Is that the, is that still true? That is still true. Still true. And hopefully there's a resurgence after this podcast because uh, I think this book needs to be read. I think, well, we're going to ask David about this later. Anyway, he's also got a, a ministry called for men called The Church for Men which I just really have enjoyed the videos and different things on there. He's authored. Now, I hope I'm right here, David, because I Googled you. You've written five books, Why Men Hate Going to Church, The Map, What Your Husband Isn't Telling You, which is my next book to order, How Women Help Men Find God, and Circle Line. Are those chapters, is that the correct definite, uh, description of those books, or did I miss something? I don't know. I, a book, I didn't write a book named Circle Line. You can take that off the list. Gosh, that's weird. So you've written four? Yep, four books. Okay, because I Googled you, and that book came up as one of your books. Well, I'm not getting any royalty checks on that. Okay, one, so. so a different book. Okay, oh man, I'd be making a phone so call. So here's here's kind of description on his book, uh, "Why Men Hate Going to Church." It's Sunday morning. Where are the men? Not in church. The average congregation in North America draws an adult crowd that's more than sixty percent female. It's sixty-one percent. Why do men and boys avoid church? Why do church-going men seem so passive and bored? And so David's dedicated his life to answering these questions. He uh, has written this book with 150,000 copies in print, and he shaped thousands of churches around the world to attract, retain, and empower men. So David is 56 years old. And uh, now, David, you are actually a television producer, correct, also, or are you not doing that anymore? No, that's what, I still do that by trade. If you try to make a living selling Christian books, you're going to be eating beans and wheat. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got rice uh, for lunch today, so if that tells you right. anything. Anyway, he lives in Chujiak, Alaska, and shares some time in the Arizona area. Married mm-hmm. to Gina for 33 years. He has a 30-year-old son, 28-year-old daughter, 23-year-old daughter. And uh, it is our pleasure, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to have this guy on. I mean, this it's great to have a guy on where you read the books and they shape your ministry, and then you get to meet the guy face-to-face. So sometimes I get a little starstruck, and so uh, I really Aww. do like his haircut. <laughs> and we were emailing last week, and he told me that he loved me so much. Yeah, I saw that. And I looked at that, and I go, gosh, that was kind of weird. Is this guy serious? Yeah. No, he can't be. Oh, he played me, quoted a song. So anyway, all right. So, hey, David, <laughs> welcome to our show, man. Yeah, good to be with you. Man, it's so great to have you here. So I want to move into, I'm going to just get you going on the rapid-fire round. There you go, baby. Okay. Yeah. Good job, Pat. So what I'm going to do, Dave, is I'm going to ask you uh, one word, just one word descriptions, so like word association. I want you to tell me kind of what you think of about that word, your opinions about that word, okay? And I've selected these just for you, okay? All right. All right. All right. And, uh, you know, we can always edit out stuff, but just feel free to say what you want. We kind of like not getting edited out, so we just, we want our, our guys in the arena like to hear this stuff. So first word is? K-Love. Kathy. Yeah, because they target a 34-year-old woman named Kathy. Yeah. Yeah, that is a true statement. So, um, all right. So if if K-Love could be a a radio station for men, what would it look like? Uh, It probably wouldn't be playing Christian music. (laughs) And it probably wouldn't call K-Love. No. Well, yeah, right. It would be, yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't be K-Love. Yeah. K-Cups. K-Cured Cups. Ooh. K-Warrior. 
<laughs> yeah, you'd have to pay me for my marketing consultation, and I'm and I don't give that away for free. So I hear you. Well, you know what's interesting right. is I sometimes, um, I don't listen to K Love hardly at all. Uh, I'd rather listen to country music or '80s rock because I and I know I feel like sometimes I feel guilty saying that, but I, I it just doesn't resonate at all. Well, no, yeah, and I don't I don't want to I really don't want to take shots. Okay, uh, here K-Love we go. An, they've done an amazing job. They've encouraged millions of people. Um, it's just not my style, and and I, I take issue with any Christian radio station that uses the slogan, safe for the whole family, because what happens is boys grow up listening to that. They, they're strapped in the back of the minivan while, while mom drives them around town, and Christianity and safety gets associated in these boys' minds. So when they reach the age of 13, 14, 15, and all they want to be is dangerous— Christianity is the first thing that goes out the window mm. because they've been told ever since they were toddlers that Christianity is safe for the whole family. So, mm. you know, that's my that's my main rap. It's not even that the music is, you know, love songs to Jesus. It's it's that the way that they position the station, they're trying to attract frightened women to listen to their station. And uh, the marketing is injurious to the to the psyches of young men. Mm. Well, it's mm. interesting because when kids when those young boys transition into the elementary school and to the church the far and away the major uh, influences on their lives are the women women teachers uh, women sunday school teachers teaching them the same things it's not okay to be dangerous uh-huh so I yeah interesting right next right. word <clears throat> nice nice um uh, be nice i mean you hear that in church all the time yeah I yeah, be nice. Okay, next word is wilderness. Uh, Eldridge. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I picked that word for you just because you live in Alaska, and so I yeah. thought, well, he's got to have some something there. Uh, that no, I think I, I I thought of Eldridge because you know you just mentioned him, but I I think he has done more for than anyone to reassociate Christianity with being in the wilderness. Yeah. So I you know I applaud him for that. That is, that's good stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about this word, risk? Uh, averse. Averse. Can you explain that? Risk averse. Um, uh, I, I, averse meaning, um, and I'm, I'm thinking of these in terms of the church. Uh, we talk a good game when it comes to risk, but we're actually very risk averse uh, when the, in, in how we minister. So in a lot of churches. Yeah. Some churches take big risks, most don't. Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you what, there's a lot to gain and lose from risk. And so, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, I think we tend to err on the side of comfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you'll determine, you know, your church's growth trajectory is determined by the amount of risk you take. And, and it's always hard to determine if this is a foolish risk, if you're, if you're following headlong after Jesus, or if you're just trying to be risky to be risky. And, uh, you know, it's always a balancing act. But and men can usually sniff it, sniff that out whether you're just trying to be risky to be risky. So, gosh, that is so true. And what we're doing mm-hmm. with our our ministry here is that we're a primarily donor supported because my books just aren't good enough. <laughs> so uh, I'm just kidding. But but there is a risk involved in going to the next level. What do we do? Do you do you risk it all? Because a, a ten thousand dollar risk is could mean disaster. So where's that balance? Mm-hmm. So well, here's here's a word for you that I think is really funny. And Pat. Uh, George will love it. He's a doctor. Dale will start clapping his hands trying to figure out how many syllables. Here's the word, man. Amygdala. Amygdala. Straight from your book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, panic. panic. That's, that's, the, that's the panic center of the brain. And uh, men have a very well-developed amygdala. When they walk into the church, their amygdala is on fire because they're, you know, they're looking for, they're, they're planning to not like church. And so they're, they have a heightened sense of risk and they're looking for an ex- exit. You know, ever noticed like when you go into a church, the men, the women take the bulletin and the men don't. And <laughs> the reason so is because they need they need their hands free in case they need to kill something. <laughs> well, it's funny. I do the announcements in our church, mm-hmm. and when I'm not doing the announcements, I don't take the bulletin. I really right. don't care. I'll go to what I want to go to. I'll do what I want to do. And uh, it's not a, not that I'm going to kill something or bolt. It's just I just don't care about. It. I'm more visual. Uh, I want to see things. I want to, li- you know, I want to see trees on the podium. I want to, I want to smell, you know, these types of things. So well, no, hey, Matt- it's, a, it's a, it's a big difference between men and women. You know, my, whenever my wife and I go somewhere, we'll go through uh, like a, like a tourist shop or an area like that. She'll come out with like 20 brochures in her hands. 
because she's a gatherer. Well, I'm a hunter and you know, I'm just looking for what I'm looking for. I might pick up one brochure, but I usually like to keep my hands free in case I need to defend myself. So it's a it's a guy thing. Oh, man, that's, that's well, so my good. wife. When I want to really bless her, I'll go shopping with her mm-hmm. and shopping yeah. for her has nothing to do with buying. It's just, it's just, they're just so wired differently. It's so funny. So, so what, what do you, let me just, let me ask you this. We're so pumped to have you here, man. Mm-hmm. First, before we get into the book and, and kind of your heart behind all this, tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. Well, um, became a Christian when I was 15, came out of a, you know, nominally religious home, but, uh, you know, when God got a hold of me, everything changed. And so, uh, kind of followed the whole Christian track, got into Christian music, uh, Married a, went to a Christian university, married a Christian wife, raised our children in the church. And wrong about age 40, I just began to realize, I, I, you know, I'm in marketing and, and advertising, and I began to realize that everything about my church was targeted at a middle-aged woman. Um, mm. And, you, you know, you notice that because in marketing, you, you, learn, you understand target audiences. And I'm sitting in church one day, and I realize, okay, my church is wearing a, my pastor's wearing a robe and stole. The altar area is decorated with flowers. There's quilts all around the walls. In the uh, narthex, there are uh, children's style, school style bulletin boards with construction paper and yarn. I mean, everything is built to attract women. There was not a neon sign anywhere in the church. So, um, you know, that, that kind of, I began to wonder why were all the symbols in the church? Why was everything targeted at women? And that's what just kind of took me down this road. You know, why is it every time Christians gather, there are always more women than men and the women are more into it than the men are? And, you know, it's just such a contrast to other religions where men seem to be taking the lead, especially in Islam. Mm-hmm. Um, in Christianity, you know, men may be the uh, figurehead leaders, but when it comes down to the actual operation of the church, the church is, like Leon Pottle said, the church is an army of women with mm-hmm. a few male officers. Oh, wow. That's heavy stuff. So mm-hmm. now are you involved at a, in a church now? Have you found a oh, church yes. that fits? And is it a yeah. church that targets men? They do char- target men, probably not as overtly as some, but no, I, I attend the largest church in Alaska. You know, it's your prototypical uh, mega church meets in a dark windowless room, used to be a warehouse, uh, contemporary worship, relevant sermons done in 75 minutes. Um, you know, it, it's a very good church and uh, my son's on staff there and he's doing a great job and, and you know, I really love my church. But, you know, what's interesting is I have not invited anybody to my church in five years. And I'm kind of wondering why I haven't. Mm. I kind of feel like I feel like I love my church, but the guys in my life probably wouldn't understand it. They wouldn't understand standing for 20 minutes in the dark singing songs they don't know to a man to a god they don't care about. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's it, the, the I'm really struggling with the format of what we do in church. In fact, I've got a I've got a new idea for church, and I'm just I'm praying every night to see if God's calling me to plant it. Mm. So a 56-year-old church planter, that really breaks the paradigm, right? <laughs> well, you know, you've got a church for men. That's your website. I just didn't yeah. know how you interacted with the name of that website. Church for men is not actually a church. Yeah. It's just it's just the name that I market my ministry under. And it's our focus is helping existing churches become more welcoming to men and boys. Uh, men and boys are the world's largest un- unreached people group. And uh, every church is trying to att- or needs to be trying to attract men. And what we find is that when churches become gender balanced and there's involved men, uh, they tend to grow. Absolutely. When the men withdraw, they tend to decline. And you know, 85% of the churches in America are either plateaued or declining. And I can tell, I can go in and I can see the quality of the men and the engagement of the men. I can tell you, without even counting noses, which kind of church it is, wow. because you know, almost all the growing churches in America are gender balanced. And the men are engaged and taking leadership in the church. And the men at the when the men withdraw, the church declines. Wow, that's good. So, uh, just focusing on just church in general, uh, mm-hmm. you had mentioned how long the messages were. Do men naturally connect? I think in your book you say men follow men, mm-hmm. not programs. Which remind me of that Braveheart quote where Bra- where he said, mm-hmm. "Men don't follow titles; they follow courage." Anyway, do you, is a is is a, a guy who follows another man as a leader. Is that 75-minute message long, or would you say men resonate with a shorter message? What, talk me through what you've learned there. Yeah, the messages are usually not 75. The, the typical uh, church in North America is between 75 and 90 minutes. Really? The message, yeah. The, the ser- How long is the service in your church? Uh, 30 minutes to 40 max, usually. And that's usually what I'm kind of used to in my history, but uh, this no, is really no, good no, stuff. No, hold on. Are you talking about the entire service or just the sermon? 
Oh, just the sermon. Yeah, right, right. Um, I wanted to clarify that we're talking about sermon length and not service length. Correct. Um, yeah, typical sermon in a Protestant church is 31 minutes, and it okay. goes up by about a minute per year. So it's probably close to 40 minutes now. They're getting longer and longer and longer. Really? And this is because there have been several successful pulpiteers that can go an hour, like Mark Driscoll and these guys. Yeah. And, be- and because they are so good at what they do, they're able to hold a crowd's attention for that long. And so, and, and seminaries love teaching, hey, spend more time in the pulpit because they're in the preaching business. Um, generally speaking, I think even a bad speaker can be engaging if he, if he keeps it shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I recommend that short, that short single point sermons that have a very practical edge are the way to go. If I were a pastor, I would never go more than 20 minutes and I would use an object lesson every time I speak. Yeah. Yep. I use, I actually, in my messages, I always have an object lesson. This weekend I'm pre- speaking on prayer because mm-hmm. the church that I'm speaking at said, we want you to speak on prayer, but I'm bringing in a first aid kit. And I'm talking about praying for other people as a lifestyle and not teaching another sermon that you need to pray and this is how. But that object lesson is what guys really resonate with. So you're talking about, just to clarify, a 75-minute service and within that an average 31-minute message, what you've seen. Yeah, yeah, they're they're creeping up toward 40 now. Um, I don't know why. That feels uh, long to me. It it is long. We we live in a... uh, we live in an age of, uh, of what YouTube videos that are you know two and three minutes, uh, TED talks ten to eighteen minutes. Uh, the way we absorb material, the way we absorb verbal content anymore, is short, single point messages. And the church hasn't gotten that memo. Mm. Um, I think a lot of pastors have been trained to to do what's called a Bible buffet. Just you know, go into the Word, put a bunch of spiritual truth out in front of people, and let them pick and choose whatever they they like out of it. Um, I think for men, shorter sermons focused on one topic where you're definitely taking them somewhere yeah. uh, is is the way to go. And, you know, we've seen that with the church. Again, the churches that are growing, you know, Mark Driscoll and um, uh, Hybels and Rick Warren. I mean, these really, really good preachers, Francis Chan, always single, single topic, uh, good visual content. People remember the visual content. They will attach the spiritual to the visual. And so um, when I tell pastors, you know, give them advice on how to preach, I'm really glad to hear that you're using object lessons. That's the number one way you can get guys to retain what they've learned. And if you can pass the object out, so much the better. I mean, you need to take a a big package of Curad bandages with you, and you need to make sure every man goes home with a bandage Mm. so that that they, they reach into their pocket and they feel that bandage and then they remember, oh, you know, that's what it is. Um, that, that, that's what I learned in church today. You know, do it, do whatever you have to do to reinforce the message because we preach and preach and preach and preach and then people forget that. That is so good. So what, what, um, what is the culpability of pastors today in, in this, uh, demasculinity of the church? You know, what can a pastor do to make, I mean, is it, does it rest on his shoulders or is it, is it something beyond him? Um, well, it, it's not, I would, I would never dump this at the feet of pastors. What we do, we have a church system, what I call a religious delivery system that is perfectly designed to reach middle-aged women. And um, because they are the largest consumers of Christian literature, they are the largest donors, and they're the ones that give their time. So the key to a, a good functioning church is to keep 50-year-old women volunteering and happy. Hmm. And because they keep the ministry machine going. Um, I mean, only a fool would focus on men because they don't volunteer as much as the women do. So, you know, it, it's really hard to say, Pastor, you need to focus on men. <laughs> yeah, but 80% of my volunteers are women. Yeah. So it's a real chicken and egg thing. Unless you build the church culture from the ground up, uh, create a culture, like Eldridge says, unless you create a church culture that from the very beginning does not function without the participate the enthusiastic participation of men, you're probably not going to get there. Mm. I was mentioning earlier, I've got this idea rolling around in my head for a different kind of church plant. It starts with six men. If you don't have those six men, you don't meet. You don't plant. You don't sing. You don't preach. It, if those six men aren't in place, it, the church doesn't happen. Mm. Because you've got to model from the very beginning the importance of men. And here again, we see the churches that are built on, on, on the uh, enthusiastic men are the ones that grow. Okay, so I'm out here in Oregon. 
Let's say you're mm-hmm. up in Alaska, and mm-hmm. you and I are going to plant this church. I've partnered with you. I'm going to yep. plant one in the Northwest. You're going to plant one up in the upper Northwest. So mm-hmm. what are you going to tell me about uh, how to run our services? You're my boss. Well, I'm, I'm working with you. Well, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to call this church. I mean, the big thing is like to have these like really cool names like Kaleo Church or Kaleidoscope. Oh, man Ray, ca- the Man you know? Cave. Right. I'm thinking of calling the church. I'm thinking of calling it 30 Minute Church, Then We Eat. <laughs> I love it. Oh. Would, you, would you go to that? Yeah. I'd go to the We Eat part for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm thinking, you know, we sing one song. We have a nice, cool sermon. Then we have another song, and then we dismiss, and we have a big feast, which we call the Lord's Supper, kind of like it was in the Bible. Uh-huh. You know? Real, real, real food. You divide the team. You divide the church into six teams. Every team's got a team captain. That's that's a guy, usually, or a man. You know, a guy and his uh, husband and wife team, and they're responsible for once every six weeks. They got to cook, and then they're taking care of the people that sit at their tables. So you've you've put pastors in charge of small groups. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're finding is church, the mega churches have realized they can't create any emotional intimacy in a room of 2000 people. Correct. So what they do is they relentlessly push people into small groups. But what we're finding is most churchgoers will only give you one unit at a time. So they come to church, but they don't go to small group. So they end up be, being relationally isolated. Mm-hmm. So my idea is we do the whole thing at once. We do a 30 minute church service. There's no pull-out programs. The kids are there with their parents. It's short enough. You'd have short message built around an object lesson so the kids are interested. You sing one more song so you can't have a worship war. You only sing a couple songs. And then and then you go straight in to have a big multi-generational dinner. And that's where the real magic happens. Our product is not preaching and music. Our product is Christians talking to other Christians and sharing their lives. That's that's the unique thing we have in the age of Facebook and the internet yeah. and Snapchat and all that stuff. We still offer human contact on a regular basis. So my, my idea for the, the church is, you know, let's, let's stop pretending we're a preaching and music delivery system and start acting like the, the let's start giving people the thing they're dying to have and not making them go to a separate meeting to get it. Let's do it all at once and, um, and simplify it, get rid of all these ministry silos and just focus on getting together once a week and celebrating the Lord together. So that's kind of my idea. I love it. Well, you know, I read a book about two years ago by a guy named Matthew Kelly. The book was called Rediscovering Catholicism, and Mm -hmm. it was a really interesting book for me to read, but one of the best books I've read in years on Christian living. And what he Mm -hmm. said, which I resonate with what you're saying, is he said, the world is seeking after authentic people who are living as the best version of themselves. And I can't tell if you're a fake or if you're authentic in an hour of church in a mega church or even a smaller church. I need to sit and have lunch with you or go up in the hills with you or do something with you to go, okay, this guy's the real deal. Right. I think we're hungry because I mean, I have, I have 2,700 friends on Facebook, but how many of those do I have authentic relationships with in this day and age? Right. I mean, what is the product? What is the thing that we offer that you can't get anywhere else? And that's human connection. Absolutely. And, you know, we just, we just, we have to put that front and center. So, um, I mean, I appreciate the mega churches. I know they're trying so hard to get people into small groups, but I feel like if you're going to ask people to come to church and then come to a small group and then volunteer, and then, you know, it's not 1950 anymore. People are not going to come to church four times a week. They're going to come once and they're going to come to the thing that's easiest to do. So if you can, if you could build a community experience right after church and keep church short enough that it doesn't dig into that time. Cause people aren't going to give you four hours, but they're going to give you 90 minutes, yeah. especially if it includes food. <laughs> and then you build this infrastructure where you have six team captains and each captain is responsible for a little parish. You know, he, he's responsible for the 25 or 30 people that sit at his table. Oh, and the other thing that I would do is if you're going to give them a 15, 20 minute sermon based on an object lesson, the other thing you do is you email devotional content out to them during the week mm-hmm. so that you continue the sermon Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. You give them, instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to give you one 45 minute blah on Sunday morning and you're supposed to live your life based on this blah, yeah. I'm going to dole it out to you over the course of a week. I mean, we have this thing now called email. Mm-hmm. We should use it to, to build the kingdom, to build people's lives 
daily. So yeah. that's just what's been rolling around in my brain. So if any of those listeners want to get in touch with me and start 30-Minute Church, then we eat, contact me at, <laughs> contact me at Church for Man. Oh man! Well, you know, when I was a, when I was a brand new Christian, I was reading the American Standard version of the Bible. Yeah. And in First Corinthians nine, Paul writes, "I buffet my body," and I thought, <laughs> "Hey, this is going to be." I love Christianity now. It involves a lot of good food until Amen. somebody ruined my faith with a buffet. And so, Amen. anyway, uh, that's that's so good, man. Well, you know, it's really interesting. You talk about the mega church. And uh, you know, Bill Hybels is is just has been mm-hmm. a real hero, I think, in championing the cause to reach the lost. He wrote oh, yes. a, he wrote a book called Reveal yes. several years back, and they were really struggling with the transition to get these people into small groups. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head. People are limited on their time, and we've got to find other ways to plug them in if the Sunday morning isn't doing that. And I think you're right on the money. They people don't want to be at the church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They just want to come <laughs> and do the thing. It's just not going to happen. I mean, when you think about Hybels, you know, he completely rewired church, but he started in 1975. Yeah. You know, there was no internet then. There was no um, email. These these tech... What it, my dad bought a VCR in 1975, a Betamax. <laughs> I mean, that was the most high-tech thing we had back yeah. in those days. So it's it's really... I think it's time for some... The problem is every plant church that we planted since 1975 has basically been a Willow Creek clone. Yeah, and we're planting them three thousand a year, and they're all the same. It, we're planting the same church over and over again, and unfortunately, that model does not reach. It reaches men in the first generation, but those men don't invite their friends. The key to church growth is you want to create a church where men invite their friends, and like I said, I haven't invited anybody to my church in five years, and the reason is because if they have to stand in the dark, singing songs they don't know to a god they don't care about, I'm going to be embarrassed by that. Yeah, um, I'm just being honest here. Yeah. But if they could come in, sing one song they know, "Amazing Grace," you know, yeah. something they've heard, and then we sit down and we immediately get into the message, and the message is built around something very relevant and built around an object, and then we go have a big dinner. You know, I would invite every man I know to that, but it doesn't exist. Yeah, man, that's that's really good, man. So, you know, I know with a lot of the things that we're doing here with our with our podcast and our ministry, which is the Great Hunt for God, I'm scratching my own itch trying to figure mm-hmm. out, hey, what does it mean for me to be a man? What does it mean to help other people journey with me on this process of uh, manhood? How how have you, how has the your book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, and your subsequent ministry that's followed that, how has that scratched your own itch? Well, I mean, as I said, you know, I'm trained in marketing. I also have a degree in anthropology. So the things that interest me are how humans interact, uh, this, the kind of the what's going on behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much uh, in about the church. So much is driven by the Holy Spirit, but so much is just driven by practical concerns. So, you know, when I see a church blowing it with men because of some practical thing they're not getting right, I just want to jump in there and say, hey, do you realize that this little thing you're doing is causing men to withdraw or it's causing boys to drop out? Um, youth leaders, you know, I say, is it really a good idea to have a youth praise band up there singing for 30 minutes? You know, I'm just able to make those little suggestions and, you know, hopefully keep a few people in the church. So that's, that's the itch. (laughs) That's the itch that I'm scratching here. I just want to kind of stanch the bleeding. So, well, you know, when I read your book, it resonated so deeply with me because I had sensed something was wrong. I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put a finger on it. And when I read your book, I went, oh, this guy just, he just told me what was wrong and how to fix it. So when you, when we, we as an entire staff read the book and talked about it, we loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, but here's my thought. You wrote down in your book uh, on page seven, let me be blunt. Today's church has developed a culture that is driving, driving men away. So I'm wondering if some, if there are groups out there or churches out there that have taken the book the wrong way, uh, I'm assuming that this that you've paid a cost for this book and so my question david is have you taken hits for this book or i mean have people kind of lashed out at you in return you know it, it's surprising you would think it'd be worse than it is uh, the usual suspects have come after me but mainly because they misunderstand mm-hmm. uh, you know feminists oh he's trying to restore the patriarchy which is like as far as possible as i could be yeah um you know i think uh, oddly uh, there was some people that uh, focus on the family uh men, male pastors, kind of more uh, intellectual, feminized type male pastors have really kind of taken me on. There were some guys that focus on the family that were just savaging me. I got savaged in uh, 
um, Christianity Today. And it was, you know, the usual thing that, you know, Jesus isn't uh, a bold warrior. He's a, you know, calm and gentle savior who sacrificed himself. He's not a lion. He's a lamb. You know, but but honestly, most of my opponents are actually people who just misunderstand what I'm saying when they yeah. really actually see what I write. I try to keep things reasonable. I try to see both sides of the issue. You can tell I'm not an absolutist. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, if you don't do these things, the church is going to die. You know, God's God has saved the church many times. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm really more of a just a mechanic uh, than I am a revolutionary. Uh, we just need to tweak this and that. And, and I think the church will be OK. But if we can tweak this and that and maybe save 10 percent who might have been uh, sheep who might have strayed away, then let's do it. Well, I think that's the pendulum tends to ha- in the history of the church. The pendulum swings. Oh, yes. And I think we've swung to this over effeminized culture among the pastoral team. I think that because I think a lot of this is because we've we've focused so much on attracting the women that we've swung. I think we're getting ready to swing back to some middle ground somewhere where both groups are targeted, both groups are welcome. I love what you said in your book. You said, I'm not calling men back to church. I'm calling the church back to men. And I, I just think that's it. We don't want to create division in the church, but we also want to say, hey, guys, we got a, we got a problem here. And I don't know if it's in our training of pastors. I don't know if it's about the culture we live in. I don't know what it's about, but we've got to swing that pendulum back. What are your thoughts about that? Well, it, I, I would hope that the pendulum would swing. We had a nice swing in post-war America, yep, uh, yep. the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those nominal Catholics uh, came back from the war and they joined mainline churches, Protestant, Episcopal, Lutheran, my own dad, you know. Uh, he was raised Catholic, came back, found a home in the Lutheran church. And uh, although he wasn't regular and wasn't particularly devoted, that was his church. Yeah. And we, it, we created an environment where men wanted to come. Um, the church began to feminize in the 60s, uh, especially the mainline churches, when uh, churches became hotbeds of anti-war activism, uh, gay rights, these sorts of left-wing causes that are embraced more by women than by men. And uh, especially anti-war activism, that was a big one that kind of drove a lot of men away because, you know, men tend to fight the wars and are yeah. the soldiers and they felt disrespected in these churches. And the mainline churches are still paying the price for that. That's the, those are the most feminized churches, the, the Episcopals, the, and they've also gone the most away from biblical authority and toward more liberal positions on different issues. So, you know, how will the pendulum swing? Maybe it's not as much a pendulum swing as that the feminized churches are dying out and will continue to, and will continue to plant churches that attract men, because church plants are usually more into masculine gifts, strategic planning, uh, you know, you don't do those things and you die. So they've got to be, they've got to honor the things that men bring to the table. Oh, that's so good, man. Well, you know, when you wrote the book in 2005, there were 16 million people in the, in, there was a gap of 16 million between the men in the church and the women in the church, which mm-hmm. is 39% of men attended the church and 61% of women. Ha, ha, have you seen, have you seen, because I know you've invested your life in this. Have you seen mm-hmm. any movement back back to a more balanced scale? Has it changed well, yeah. at all? Well, first, let me clarify the quote. The, the quote is, the average church in North America draws an adult crowd that's 61% female. Now, 61% of women aren't going to church. Okay. Uh, only about 20% of Americans go to church on a given weekend. In Europe, it's like 5%. Okay. okay? But among those who go, the distribution is 61.39. I just wanted to be clear about that. Oh, I, I'm crystal clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, regarding the trends, I think the trends are probably continuing to – I mean, I don't have any fresh numbers for yeah, you. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I, but I, I do believe the trends – there was an interesting study that came out last year from Pew that compared world religions and showed without a shadow of a doubt that Christianity was the only major world religion that had a major gender gap. Uh, they found that they found that most religious groups were two to three percent. The women were two to three percent more likely to attend. You had like a fifty three, forty seven percent. And Islam, it was a flip. Fifty three percent more men attended mosque than women, because in most strains of Islam, the women are not required and actually not expected to attend Friday prayers. It's a men only thing. Wow. So that's why you see a higher level of religiosity in the in the Islamic world among men. Hmm. But, but in Christianity, we, they confirm that all strains of Christianity worldwide uh, do experience a pretty significant gender gap, the only exception being the Eastern Orthodox. 
that they see just as many men as women in their services. Wow. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We'll be back in just a second, David. The Man Card Podcast is sponsored by The Great Hunt for God and its mission to transform lives through teams of men. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Start a team in your city today by purchasing our five-volume curriculum appropriately called The Man Card Series at www.thegreathuntforgod.com. You can also find it on The Great Hunt for God app under gear. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization that relies heavily on our monthly financial champions. If this podcast has helped you to get out of the bleachers and into the arena, consider becoming a monthly financial champion and you'll receive the field guide, my bathroom book for men with 365 daily readings. To give, just click the give button on our app or website on the menu drop down. This year will be our first ever Man Card Men's Weekend. If you're interested in hosting a Man Card Men's Weekend with the men in the arena in your city, contact us for available dates. And lastly, go to Facebook and join the Men in the Arena closed group. This is an exciting forum where we'll discuss what a man is and does with men in the arena from all around the world. Thank you again for championing the cause of the Great Hunt for God. Okay, we're back. So, David, you 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 said something that really has intrigued me, and you're not the first person who has said it. Uh, Islam, and I, I don't want to sound sacrilegious here. I I just have a question here. What can the Christian Church, in reaching men for Christ or in getting men involved in the church, what can we learn from Islam? We vilified them, obviously, but what can we learn from them? Well, there in. Islamic culture, uh, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but I hear you. In, the, in the Islamic world, there tends to be an association between manliness and religion. The more religious you are, the more manly you're considered to be. Uh, in the Christian world, it's the exact opposite. Hmm. In the Christian world, the more religious you are, the less manly you are. Um, if I want to, the example I always give is, uh, let's say it's a, been a long hot day we're out on a construction site and there's three construction workers talking about what they're doing going to do after work and the first one says well you know i'm just going to go down to the bar and have a beer and the second guy says well i got tickets to a baseball game and the third guy says well i'm going wednesday night church services now what are the first two guys doing <laughs> yeah yeah they're snickering now yeah. why are they snickering because going to a bar or going to a baseball game those are things men do men don't go to church there's, a, there's a, a feeling, particularly among the more masculine type guys, blue-collar guys, that to be religious is to be womanly. So back to your original question, in the Islamic world, you have men blowing themselves up regularly for their faith. Mm-hmm. Being a Muslim is dangerous, and it's considered man's work. And so what can the church learn? There just has to be an increased emphasis on the danger of following Jesus. Because it's like my youth leader always said to us, he said, he would say to us, Christianity, properly practiced, will result in your death. He said that every week. Mm. And the boys the boys were just like, yes, sign me up. Where do I go? This is going to kill me? Then I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a church dominated by 55-year-old women and you bring up that sentiment, they will run you out of the church. So it's, just, it's a question of emphasis. It's a question of culture. And, you know, what are we going to talk about? And I think we have to, we have to take a lesson from Islam and see that a dangerous faith that calls us and and uh, tasks us is the type that will attract men. Oh, that's so cool. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Timothy 3.12, and you just uh, inspired that in me again. It says, For the godly in Christ will be persecuted. And I think part of uh, the reason we launched the Great Hunt for God, the Man Card podcast, was will anyone persecute us out there? I mean, I mean, we, we, nobody will. I mean, I, when I Googled, uh, we had uh, John Elder John Ark podcast, I think, two weeks ago. When I went and Googled him, man, all of the criticism of that guy, the more I read, the more I was like, this guy is awesome. You know, I was really excited to see this guy taking hits to uh, to uh, to reach men. And I'm sure that you've I mean, I know that you've taken the hits and will continue to do so with this this audacious message that, uh, you know, you know, we need to stop singing certain songs. We need to you know, crank up the heat in the sanctuary. We need to turn the mm-hmm. lights down. We need to shut the music, you know, keep it short and simple. We need to, you know, uh, have the messages object lesson. Uh, I just mm-hmm. spoke in a church a couple weeks ago, uh, and it was out of a first John and he just speaks a lot about love. And I had a, a huge big chain and I pulled it out and I said, this is the victory chain, like the Miami 
University of Miami has their turnover chain. It's our chain, and uh, mm-hmm. and this chain can be used to be bondage. And I threw it out in the audience, made a loud sound. The men love it, but we can use that to pull somebody out of the mud, like when a four by four stuck. These are things that that I love the DNA strand that you have imparted into my life because I never thought of those things before. I remember I invited my dad to a church I attended as a brand new Christian. And, uh, you know, it was six, gosh, 40 minutes of music. You know, people are standing up and raising their hands. My dad mocked me so hard for that. Uh, he could not understand <laughs> this because that doesn't resonate with men. I, no. In fact, I think your picture in the back of your book, it actually has a, a woman raising her hands in worship and the guy's going, what the hell is going on here? Right. <laughs> so, man, so funny. So, hey, so uh, page 13 or page 39, you said, we love men's gold but we have no use for their smelly stuff. Competition, mm-hmm. goal orientation, performance, power, these things stink up the church. And you said, I challenge you to answer this question. How might a man use these kinds of gifts in your congregation? Your brain probably hurts just thinking about it. And one of the things I've noticed is when a man gets it, everyone wins. But when a man truly gets it, he becomes dangerous to the pastor. I mean, I've got friends that are entrepreneurs who have a net worth of thirty to fifty hundred million, and they're handing out church bulletins, and it just seems yes. like there's no place for these guys in the church. What would you say to that? Well, here again, so again our, gen- our, generally speaking, not, yeah, our, our key demographic to keeping the Sunday school staffed and the choir singing and the benevolence is going are middle-aged women. It always within one generation they become the drivers of the church. Now they may not hold the formal levers of power. But they are the they're the army that keeps the church moving forward. So your entrepreneur friend might have an idea that would be very offensive to a 55 year old woman or she just wouldn't get it. And so that's and so the pastor thinks he's thinking triage at this point. Okay, if I want to keep getting paid, I've got to keep all these ministry plates spinning and I've got to keep Sandy and Cheryl and all these women volunteering and happy. So even though uh, your buddy's idea your entrepreneur idea is is fabulous. It, it's the cost of, of a backfire of something going wrong mm. is 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 huge. I mean, honestly, the safest thing you can do with a Christian is gather him in a room and talk to him. Because the minute you send him out on mission, the minute you even let people have relationships with each other, there's the possibility that something's going to go wrong. Yeah. And that problem is going to drop into your lap as a pastor. So after a few years, you learn to play defense. And I, this is not a rap on pastors. This is really a rap on congregations for blaming the pastor for everything. Yeah. It always comes back on the pastor. So we've trained our pastors not to take risks. We've trained our pastors to keep the past, keep the what is the the oxen? You know that that verse in Proverbs about you know a clean stable. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no. It's the uh, a clean stable is pleasurable, but it, but it, you need but for a rich harvest you need an ox. Ah, yes. Which means the ox is going to take a dump in your stable, right? <laughs> so so these these entrepreneurs, those are your oxen. They can really get things done, but the problem is getting things done creates a mess. Yes. And who has to mediate the mess? The pastor. Oh. So I call on Christians to grow up and stop blaming the pastor for everything and allow him to take risks. And when he screws up and when things blow up in his face, come along inside him and say, hey, that was a good try. We're going to try again. And, uh, you know, when a church is, again, when a church is dominated by older people, which is what happens in the second generation, they blame the pastor relentlessly, maliciously, and the, and so the pastor learns not to take chances. And it's just a sick thing that comes out of the congregation. Don't blame the pastor, blame the congregation. Well, especially especially in the churches of, let's say, under 300, where yep. the pastor is tasked to do so much work. Once you get to that megachurch status, there's a lot of deflection Right, you right. Know, and so that that's so good, man. I sure appreciate yeah, Matt, that. Matt Chandler can take a chance. Craig Groeschel can take a chance, you know, because he's ref- he's def- he's protected from that sniping and all that stuff. Yeah. But boy, in it, like can you say, the average church is 95 people. And in that church, the pastors, I mean, if he loses one family, he might lose 10, 20 percent of his income. So can we blame the poor guy for not taking chances? You know, I mean, taking a chance for Jesus could mean, okay, if one thing goes wrong, he's out the door. Yeah. So it's just a, it's a sick state of affairs, and I blame it not on the pastors. I blame it on the congregations. Wow. There's just something much deeper going on here, isn't there? There is. There is. Yep. Have you, have you learned, after writing this book, I mean, huge success, uh, what, have you, what have you personally learned 
from writing this book that isn't in the book in response hmm. to your book? The most surprising thing is, is that people hear and read what they want to hear and read. You know, they, uh, they take a look at the title of my book and they instantly judge it. You know, they look for things that they're looking for something that they can object to. So people always bring their own preconceived notions to everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, amazing how threatening something like this can be, but amazing how liberating it can also be. So um, it's just been a very interesting ride. Well, I think in my journey, it was eye-opening, you know, and then I, you look at church budgets and they, especially in the mega churches, the, the men are not reflected in the budget. I think that's another thing that that we have to look at is the church needs to add value to the men and fiscally, you know, this to add value and say, Hey, you guys are important to us. I think that's another thing that can happen in the church that doesn't have to do with any church service. Yeah. And, and that the, the church's spending priorities also reflect the priorities of 55 year old women. Because, <laughs> because, yeah. Because the number one thing we fund is children's ministry. Yes. Yes. So if I'm a 55 year old woman, chances are my kids are grown. They're out the door. Uh, I see my grandkids twice a year or maybe once a year. And so the thing that concerns me most is I need kids in my arms. So, you know, children's ministry is very important to me. I volunteer in the children's ministry. I love those little tots. I love seeing them up at, on Christmas in their little halos. Uh, that, that everything reflects my heart. And so I, we spend in the church according to that, through the raising of children. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, money for men's ministry, they can afford it themselves. Mm. They've got all this money. They're all golfing. So, it, it, yeah, it's a, it's a real sad state of affairs. Uh, I mean, I just came back from a three-day conference, Fatherhood Commission, which is a, an amalgamation of men's ministries. And everybody was crying the blues about funding. I mean, the well-funded men's ministry is a unicorn. I'm not sure it exists. Because <laughs> not you know, in Oregon, people, brother. <laughs> people people just do not ex, you know invest in ministry to men. They invest in ministry to children. Well, what we're speaking to men and to all people through our ministry is, hey, when a man gets it, everyone wins. If you want to reach the woman, you're going to reach the family seventeen percent of the time. But if you this is a Baptist press survey, but if you want to reach the man, you have a ninety three percent chance of reaching the family. So he is worth the investment. He and but the problem we we're also almost our own enemies as well, because men, we are typically stubborn when it comes to spiritual things, because I'd rather be in the mountains thinking about God than sitting in a church or thinking about the mountains. Or, or but I mean, look at the payoff for the church. If I run a VBS, I'm going to get a hundred kids from the neighborhood out. And that following Sunday, I'm going to put a hundred kids up on the stage, right? It's going to happen like that. And I can run it with 18 to 20 volunteers and a financial outlay of about five, $600. Yeah. Okay. If I do a min ministry to men, it's going to be two years before any man will even get up and give his dang testimony. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here, where's the payoff? And, and plus, you know, 55-year-old woman, again, my key, key demographic, if she's a, she sees 100 women up on, 100 kids up on stage, her feminine heart is going to blow up. Her wallet's going to open. Yeah. Her, her calendar is going to become... The church's calendar, you know what I'm saying? Yes. She's going to want to be a part of those children because her heart is tuned toward kids. If a man gets up and gives his testimony, it's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe that's going to. So, you know, it really is, church culture really is built around those women. And until we realize that there are more, there's more to it than keeping the ministry machine going, I'm afraid not much is going to change. Do you think, David, that um, the Christian church has taking the more effeminate or soft side of Jesus and went, ran with that, and we've missed out on the masculine Jesus. You know, this guy, you know, we've, we've watered down Jesus. So in John chapter 2, it says the heading is, the title the subtitle is Jesus Cleanses the Temple. Now, if I were writing the Bible, I would say Jesus writes, you know, you know, rec, you know gives a rips, the, rips the, temple. the temple a new one. Jesus kicks ass and takes names. But it seems like the man who t named his best friends, nicknamed them the Sons of Thunder and the, the Rock, We've forgotten about that guy. Why? What has happened? Where, where does that come? What is your thought on that? Where does that come from? Where does that originate? Well, actually, you know, what's interesting is it's not just the church, but when you ask a person who doesn't go to church what they think of Jesus, they will almost always describe the lamb. Oh, he loved and accepted everyone. He, uh, he, would, never, he would never refuse to bake a cake for a gay couple. Yeah. He would never, you know, he, he was just love and acceptance. He would never send anybody to hell. 
he would, you know, that's people who never go to church and never read the Bible. That's what they believe about Jesus. That's interesting. So it doesn't come from the church. It comes from without. Um, we're the narrow-minded bigots who actually believe that God might actually send somebody to hell. Yeah. Uh, we're the narrow-minded bigots who, you know, don't want to have marriage ceremonies for two men mm -hmm. um, because that hurts people's feelings. You know, it's it's de the feminization is not only from within; it's from without as well. Interesting. I wonder why that is. I, I wonder why. You know, that's that's a that's a bigger question than I have uh, the capacity to wrap my. I can mind give you a thirty second. I, I think actually, I think the reason is is because people who don't know Jesus, um, they they sure hope he's merciful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because. They, because because they're not doing much to follow him and they really don't, they really haven't looked into his claims. And so they have this aspirational view of him. Oh, well, he's not sending anybody to hell. So I'm okay. Um, he's not judging this person. So I'm free to do what I want. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's really irritating to see what people who don't know anything about Jesus will confidently stand up and tell us about him. And oh, uh, it's, good. it's just very, it's, it's irritating. That is so good. That is so good. Mm -hmm. So you, you wrote in your book on page 100, I believe all men are called to be great for someone. Uh, I believe men desire greatness. What do you, what do you, what do you, th what you think does, um, what does the church do to help men understand they're called to greatness? I believe the same thing you do. I believe that men are called to greatness in some realm. How, how, how has the church done that and how can the church do that better? Well, I think, you know, the, Hats off to many churches that have done exactly that. I'll I'll praise Rick Warren and Saddleback. Yeah, you know Rick is always coming up with some crazy audacious goal. His goal was to translate the Bible into every language by 2020, and he's going to make it. Whoa. 2019, they're supposed to have it done. Um, he did that peace and reconciliation project in Rwanda, um, and they did that. They, I mean, they they probably saved fifty thousand lives through that process. Wow. So. Wow. You know, there are, to their credit, uh, there are a lot of churches that really do have big vision. They've, they've got that layer of shield between the pastor. You know, they've reached a certain size. Yeah. That they're not going to get fired for, for taking a big risk for God. So, you know, there are, Fellowship of Christian Athletes does an awesome job explaining the gospel in terms young men can understand. So I'm, I'm tremendously um, bullish on these sorts of ministries that are taking chances and are explaining the gospel in terms of greatness. The problem is it's just not widespread enough. Yeah. And we have these countervailing currents like Caleb, say for the whole family, <laughs> that 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 sort of work against the the message that uh, Christianity is a dangerous endeavor that's worth putting your life on the line for. That's so good, man. So you spend a lot of time or maybe I just interpreted the book this way, uh, dealing with language in the church mm -hmm. from sermons to music to how we interact, how can a church, and we're going to end on this because I know you're, you know, we want to honor your time. And how can the church mm -hmm. change their language to attract men? Well, the, the, the tendency in the church now, I just read an article that the church of Sweden is recommending that God be gender neutralized, uh, that we not use masculine pronouns for the deity. That's precisely the opposite of the direction we want to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, Gosh. I'm one of these old fashioned guys who just thinks the Bible has got pretty much everything we need in it. Yeah. And, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about the family of God. The Bible doesn't talk about falling deeply in love with Jesus. You know, the metaphors in there are very strong. And, you know, I just think we need to use the stuff that's in there and uh, let God God sort things out. That's so good, man. I had a, a young man argue with me for gender-neutral Jesus and said, well, he's everything. I said, yeah, I agree with you, but he's never find one word in the thousands of times the name of God is addressed where God is feminine. It's not there. It's just not there. I mean, even well, and, and, well, yeah, and let me push back on that. A lot of the uh, cults and the idols in the Old Testament were feminine. Asherah. And uh -huh, these, uh -huh. these were female fertility goddesses. And, you know, honestly, between you and me and your listeners, I'm wondering if those spirits are alive in some of our churches today. Oh. They're, this same, these same things are trying to feminize what we do. And, you know, in the name of kindness and inclusion and not uh -huh. making women feel bad about themselves, uh, you know, they, God could have sent his daughter. He sent his son. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, and there's a, re there's a reason for that. He sent, you know, he didn't send Wonder Woman. He sent Superman. So oh, we, we need good. to... 
there, there's a reason for that is because if you get the men, you usually get the women in the deal. That is a true and statement. When we when we cater too much to one sex or the other, we tend to lose. We oh, well, here's the interesting thing: when we cater to men, we tend to get women in the deal. But when we cater to women, men depart, they leave, Correct. and they hand things over to the women. It's not they're not angry. They just say, "Well, the women who got this, I'm going to go play golf." Yeah, and, and we just you just have to intentionally err on the side of masculine if you want a church of men, women, and children, and that's what we're seeing. And that's biblical. We see that over and over through the New Testament. He was saved in his household. He was saved in his household. You know, yes. I was, I'm reading through the Bible in a year here, and I just finished Ezekiel about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm reading, it's the New Living Translation, so it's an easier read. Uh-huh. But I read yeah. something that really rocked my world in Ezekiel, and I don't have the address yet. I can't remember it offhand, but it said, mm-hmm. and they worship the gods of women. Mm. And I thought, I think maybe in the church we do that. We worship this female Jesus, this neuter, new, gender-neutral Jesus. This I call him Jello Jesus. We fit him yeah. into our mold, and I think this is a big issue. Uh, well, yeah, and even like in some of the mainline churches, they bring goddess language in, you know, occult goddess language to describe, you know, you're crossing a line there. You know, Jesus, Jesus and God gave us the names that we're supposed to use. And they just and they, you know, they revealed themselves as male. Jesus called him father, not mother. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just I'm just a Bible guy. If it's in there, I think we ought to do it. (laughs) Amen, brother. Well, our our men in the arena, as we call them, are mostly laymen. They're mostly guys that are just getting up in the morning, getting it done, listening mm-hmm. to this podcast in the way in the way to work, coaching their kids' sports teams, trying to love their mm-hmm. wife. So these are just laymen. These are not pastors. So uh, just one final piece of advice can, for our guys. Can you give our guys some advice in how they can bring a masculine feel or, or uh, that's probably not the white, right word, a masculine yeah. uh, spirit spirit to the church, even though they are laymen. Can you give us some advice there? Well, you know, the first thing, you don't want to run to your church. You don't run to your pastor and start, you know, throwing this book at him and saying, <laughs> hey, you know, don't, don't bug your pastor. You can mention that you read it. But, you know, the number one thing you could do would be to get, get the men together and tell them you've read the book and tell them, pastor, we have your back. Oh, that's we want, good. If, we want to support you. And if you want to take some of these uh, actions that make the church more welcoming to men, we, we will back you up 100% because when the church secretary comes unglued, we will, we will back you up and empower him to make the changes that need to be made. Now, and you also have to say, now, look, this is not a gun to your head, Pastor. If you don't want to make these changes, that's fine. We're going to love you either way. But we just want you to know that if you want to create a more man-friendly environment, if you want to shorten your sermons, if you want to use more object lessons. When the critics come, you send them to us. And and if you do that for your pastor, I can guarantee you these transitions will be a lot easier than if you just throw a book at him and tell him to do it. So that's, that's so what a lay person can do. We've got your back, mm. man. Well, David, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, guys, you need to pick up that book, this book, if you haven't read it yet. I'm going to go and get a hold of the your second, well, your other book. Uh, what is it called? What? Your husband what your isn't husband isn't telling you. I'm excited about that book, but we can pick the book up on Amazon. Also, guys, I highly recommend that you go check out the website here. It's churchformen.com. Yeah, don't get it. Actually, uh, Amazon's having a problem with some of my books, so if you oh. go to churchformen.com, I can order. I can fulfill the order myself, and the autographs are free. So. Oh, whoa. whoa. How about that? Oh, man. man. Can you put some little... Per, for, you know, perfume in it to make it smell nice too. It's cologne. <laughs> Sparklies. Oh man. Uh, no, I can't. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Okay. Well, hey, David. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Uh, what a huge blessing. So, men, you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast, helping the helping us transform the lives of men as easy as one, two, three. Listen to the podcast and subscribe. Share it with your friends and write a positive review. Guys, we want to help you become the best version of the man that you've been created to be as you follow the masculine Jesus of the Bible. So, guys, uh, we're so excited for following us. Make sure you go and uh, tag us and share this on Facebook, and we'll add you into our drawing for the knife. So, guys, get in the arena, get dirty, grind it out, and be be a man. man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of a man, then purchase your own copy of the Field Guide, our bathroom book for men. Jim wrote this book for men who don't read books. It's a daily study of manly words explained with great stories. 
you will find enough entries to read one a day for an entire year. That's right, 365 daily readings on what a man is and does. Get your copy for you and your friends on our website at thegreathuntforgod.com. You will also find our five-book man card series. Grab several copies, recruit some friends, and champion the cause for men today. We are a donor-supported, non-profit organization with the mission to transform the lives of men and those they love. If today's podcast has inspired you, consider being a financial champion by going to The Great Hunt for God and click the Give link in the menu drop-down. Also, download The Great Hunt for God app today. It is available in all the app stores for all devices. It has videos, podcasts, our store, and many other links to the world of The Great Hunt for God. Thank you for listening, and good hunting. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.